Hey, good morning. The theme of my quiet times all during this week has been, uh, it's from several places in the gospel where Jesus says in Matthew and then in Mark 1.17, he says, come unto me. And that's been what's been on my heart and my mind all week is coming unto Jesus and how do we come unto him? And he's just been been filling that and just showing me deeper and, and just beautiful ways that he does it in our life. And I hope and I pray that you'll be coming unto Jesus. And this music has been such a great way to start the week, hasn't it? I mean, these have just been great song choices and just lifting my heart. Whether you're at home uh, worshiping with us online or whether you're in this room, uh, this room is gradually filling up. There are more and more folks who are stepping out. On May 5th, we will offer child care for the first time. So pray for us, you know, as we make sure we cover all the details and as we step forward into that um, I think some of us hoped or thought this might be like flipping a switch as we came out of the pandemic, but it's not. It's step by step, phase by phase. And we're trying to comply with the guidelines and keep you safe and keep you comfortable, but at the same time, be as progressive as we can. Um, so thank you for working with us and thank you for your patience. You've been so gracious. And I believe this is a time when uh, the church, the church of Jesus has stepped up. And I think we have been seen in so many ways leading the way for our culture and our communities. Now, just a couple of things I wanted to mention to you before I introduce someone uh, to you this morning for a message that you're just, oh, it's just going to be so good. Uh, first of all, some of you, most of you know, uh, dear, dear brother in our church, he's the oldest guy in our church, uh, J.O. Gates. And J.O. is battling uh, cancer and is doing radiation treatments, and they take a lot out of him. But so many of you have sent messages. We went over and stood in the front yard and sang to him. Uh, you've taken meals and sent things and prayed. And he just wanted us you know, to express to us, thank you, thank you, and please keep those prayers going. Uh, I want to see him hit the century mark, and uh, that's what we're pulling for, and that's what we're asking the Lord for, uh, to, to let us keep him for a long time. Um, the other thing I wanted you to know is there is a sweet, sweet family lined up right here. And I'm not even going to thank you. God bless the Sheddens. Welcome home. Welcome home. We're so glad. I don't recognize any of you because who are you people? You're not here anymore. You're, but this is one of the sweet, sweet missionary families from our fellowship. And they have lived through so many adventures and they're here with us today in the room worshiping. So if you can't, you can't see them online, uh, but they're here. And I know so many of you prayed for them. And we're always asking one another, you know, have you heard anything about the Sheddons? And how are they doing? So they're here. They're in the room. So uh, God bless you. God bless you. And we'll continue to pray for you. Um, over the last several weeks during this pandemic, God kind of moved my heart to em embrace a theme that maybe would make sense for us. Uh, as we have been in such a, an, an, a battle today not to use cliches, and it's almost impossible, <laughs> but an uncertain time, uh, unprecedented time. There, I got that out of the way. Uh, th this just extraordinary time that we have been and are still living through, and we don't know what's going to happen if there is a second wave or whatever. And then in the midst of that, our country's just pulled apart by the tension and the upset uh, as we continue to struggle uh, to get healing from this deep scar that our nation has. And we've talked about that. 
So over the last several weeks, uh, we could kind of capitulate, you know, we have talked about that God has recalibrated us, like your GPS. And uh, Max asked me this morning, he said, does it recalibrate or does it recalculate? And I said, I say it differently every time so that everybody stays confused. Um, but it's recalculating is, is the, the, the idea of the series. I changed my GPS to an, because it has an Irish accent now, and I like it. And I think it says recalibrate, so I say it differently. But we've learned to recalibrate personally. And this has been a time for us just to fall in love with Jesus all over again and to recapture the vision that he has for our lives and for his grace and what that means in a deeper, deeper level uh, and, and out of that flows this recalculation that he's done as, as we experience better and stronger relationships with one another. And I know there's not a lot good that comes from a pandemic, but if there is anything, it's that we connect better. We reconnect to others with genuine love. And it's challenged us to rethink, God, who do you want us to be in the city of Knoxville? Uh, we're an old church. and We've been here. We were born on the University of Tennessee campus. And God, what is our mission uh, to this city? And I believe more than ever, more than ever, that God wants to bless Knoxville through Calvary. And I think there are some exciting days ahead for us. And when you begin to embrace our mission again, of course, we, we see how do we fit into the culture of 2020? We knew how to fit into 1920 and 1960 and 1980. And God, what about 2020? God constantly renews the church and our culture to keep us relevant and fresh and powerful and influential in our city. And so we look at the ways that culture uh, around us and how we can uh, be powerful in our spirits here leads us to consider structural recalculating. And God, is there anything you want to do in us? We're, we're available and we're free. And God, my personal daily structure has changed. My weekly structure has changed through all of this. And I push back against some of it, but you know what? God is blessed and he, is, he has taught me so much through this. So we sometimes outgrow current structures and we develop new habits and new ways of doing things. One of the things we did during the pandemic, because we, we were still having cafe messages, but we weren't having Sunday morning classes, we weren't having community groups. I think it was Joe who came up with the idea that let's do Zoom Bible study classes on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock. And those have been so good. And I know many of you, I see your tiny little faces on my computer screen. And God has just given us so many good teachers here at Calvary. And they have just brought so many encouraging uh, messages from Scripture. And they've synced just in beautiful ways, you know, how God will just connect things together. And you realize, wow, that was almost like a series, the way the speakers who uh, were not really, you know, asking each other, but they just did that. There was one particular message that just really spoke to my heart because I felt like it synced so well with what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings with recalculating. And that message just went over and over. I took, I took, I take notes on all of our speakers and that one I kept coming back to and I find myself rereading that and rethinking that and, and God just seemed to move my heart and I said, wow, that this fits beautifully and perfectly and would be a great way to bring this series to a conclusion because as we go forward, you know, there's a lot of exciting things that happen 
to us, and we're so anxious to get out and just to be well and just to be free again. But with that, I think there's some melancholy as we go forward. And, and uh, you're not in the room. You probably can't see, but most everybody's got masks on. And when you go to the grocery store, often that's true. And we distance, and we just have different new lifestyles. And we don't know how that's going to play out. But we know that it's not going to be exactly the same. And so the, for me, I'm a sentimental guy, most of you know. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, I get a little, there's like a little twinge of sadness. And I think, wait, I don't want to release anything. Well, this message so encouraged my heart and just reminded me just what we sang. God is in control and God is taking us forward. Uh, our guest speaker today is Max Shell. Max has been at Calvary and has loved this church about as long or longer than anybody I know, except for maybe his sister, Rebecca. And uh, he has is just, he is one of our best teachers. He is just uh, a, a, a great guy. I started to say he's a beautiful guy, but that just somehow didn't feel comfortable. Um, but, but Max is a dear friend uh, to me, to this church, and he has a powerful message for us today. And his heart is so uh, here and so engaged with the Lord. And so uh, would you welcome him as he steps up here and just shares with us what God's put on his heart? appreciation of Dan of just trying to coordinate all of these microphones and <clears throat> chairs and tables and masks, which makes it even more complicated that, that uh, it's a bit of a challenge. So please bear with me. I'm not, I'm not a professional. I'm not used to this. Um, <clears throat> I want to begin with a uh, true story, same story I told on the Zoom newscast of the uh, Zoom Bible study. And I hope that uh, those of you who have heard that lesson on the Tuesday evening Bible study are not too disappointed to learn that the sermon this morning was a rerun, but I know you've been home watching thousands of reruns of Blue Bloods and Law and Order and whatever, so maybe you will be preconditioned to reruns a little bit. But I began that with a true story. It seems that back in the early 1900s, uh, missionaries serving in the uh, Pacific Marshall Islands only received their mail uh, once a, m a year when a trading boat uh, made its rounds of the South Pacific, <clears throat> also bringing the, uh, the mail with it. So you can imagine how those missionaries uh, looked forward to that boat. Well, one year the missionaries were off on a uh, neighboring island when the boat arrived a few days earlier than expected, so the captain had to leave the mail uh, with the native people there on the island and just sail on. <clears throat> well, the natives knew that the mail was something that was obviously very, very special because the missionaries had talked about it so often with great excitement, and uh, so they were understandably curious uh, about what was in the mailbag. Um, so uh, they just couldn't restrain themselves from opening the bag to discover what wonderful contents might be inside. <clears throat> well, when they did, what they saw at first sort of perplexed them. 
Um, but eventually, we talked about it, and they decided collectively that it must be something good to eat. So uh, they proceeded to tear the mail, the letters, into little bitty pieces and to uh, put them and to cook them. And uh, the mail mush did not taste very good, to say the least. And uh, so the natives were disappointed. And then when the missionaries returned, um, they were even more disappointed. Um, uh, it, and so really everyone was disappointed. And uh, everyone's expectations, if you will, sort of fell short that day. For, uh, I guess, three weeks now, we've, um, a number of us have been worshiping together, actually here in the sanctuary, and it's been, uh, you know, after a very long quarantine. And uh, it, it's been, um, you know, it, it's, it's been a blessing. That's been, it's been exciting to be back together again. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we're honest with ourselves, I think we probably all have to admit that worship just feels uh, a little different in many ways. Maybe it feels a little strange. <clears throat> At times, maybe even disappointing. Um, you know, many of you, they're not with us today, but you're still watching by uh, at home and worshiping with us at home. So you're still managing your expectations of worship as we slowly emerge from this, uh, this quarantine to whatever the new normal is going to look like. We are, as uh, Dan has said and has talked about in these uh, series of sermons, we're recalibrating or recalculating our expectations of worship. So there's a passage in Ezra that I think speaks very well to this, uh, to this situation, and it's in Ezra 3. So why don't you be turning to Ezra 3, and as you do that, let me, uh, let me sort of set the stage for you. The year was 537 B.C. The Jews had just returned from Jerusalem after a long captivity in Babylon. And we probably all identify with... Uh, feeling like we've all been held captive for uh, a while, but uh, not as long as these, uh, these Jews had been. Some of them had, uh, were returned, had been gone from their homeland for 50 years, others for uh, 70 years after being sent into exile uh, as part of God's judgment for really generations of disobedience. But now at last, at last, after all these times, the, uh, the first wave of Jews was returning to the land. But uh, everything had changed. Uh, everything was different and disappointing. It was disappointing. Um, the countryside was still under the control of their enemies. Uh, the city of Jerusalem lay in uh, utter ruin. Its walls torn down, uh, its buildings all looted. Um, and worst of all, worst of all, the glorious temple that Solomon had built uh, 500 years earlier uh, was gone. It was just vanished. It was totally destroyed. Um, <clears throat> the Babylonians had uh, stripped the temple of its gold and all of its silver, um, uh, everything else of value. Uh, all the temple implements were gone. The Ark of the Covenant was gone. Uh, the altar of sacrifice was gone. Uh, and all that was left... Uh, was just a field of rubble, field of rubble. Um, <clears throat> so the Jews very industriously uh, began to rebuild. 
starting with the most important uh, building in all of Jerusalem, and that was, of course, the temple. Uh, so if you're in Ezra 3 now, I want you to look down in verses, starting verses 2 and 3, and I want you to notice that the first thing that they built, they rebuilt, was the altar. So look at verse 2. It says, the son, the, Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to rebuild the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening sacrifices. As we read on in the chapter, again, I think about verse 7, we see that around the altar, they proceeded to relay the foundation of the temple itself. Um, and then, then they paused uh, for a public praise celebration. And uh, we read about that, I think, drop down to about verse 10, and we'll pick up the story. It says, when the uh, builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. That's what they sang. They sang, he is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And then, in the midst of all this cheering and, and, and singing and celebrating, a very strange thing happened. A very strange thing happened. And uh, we read about that in verse 12. Let's look on. It says, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud while when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sounds of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. So what a strange scene, I thought. You know, strange and interesting thing. You know, many were dancing and, and cheering and, and, and singing, uh, but some of the older folks... Uh, apparently, many of the older folks were weeping, uh, and the shouts of joy blended with the uh, the sounds of weeping to the degree that, that no one could tell them apart. Um, so, what's happening here? Uh, why would they weep, and uh, what kind of tears were these? Uh, were these tears of joy? Yes, I think they were tears of joy. Were they also something else? Yes, I think they were. I think it was both. I think they were bittersweet tears. They were bittersweet tears. <clears throat> and really, all of this begins to make more sense if you sort of do the math. Uh, the temple uh, had been destroyed in 586 B.C. Um, Fifty years later, the first wave of Jews uh, returned from captivity and began to rebuild it. <clears throat> the older Jews, the older Jews who could remember Solomon's magnificent temple um, would have been about 65 years of age by that time. Meanwhile, two generations had been born in Babylon, two generations who had absolutely no memory 
uh, of Solomon's incredible temple. Um, they had grown up in pagan Babylon, and those who had grown up, grown up in pagan Babylon now cheered at the prospect of this new temple, the beginning of this new temple. It was exciting to them. Uh, but uh, to the older folks, it was kind of like comparing a tar paper shack to the Taj Mahal. You know, it was an altar and just a foundation uh, in the midst of a field of rubble must have, must have seemed pitifully spartan to them in, in, uh, compared to this glorious temple that they had once known. Um, and I think they were so overcome with emotion that they wept while um, the younger folks rejoiced. You know, I was saying, how did they, were they were feeling? Maybe they felt a sense of loss. Certainly they felt a sense of loss. They felt a sadness for what once was and that they thought would never be the same again. Uh, maybe, too, they were sad at, uh, and maybe a little depressed at being reminded of just how badly they'd messed up uh, to the point that uh, maybe they despaired that things would never be the same again. Maybe they, they, maybe they had hoped that God's mercy in restoring them to the land would have maybe extended to God also preserving more of the temple. But when they arrived in the land, realized that obviously was not the case, they were disappointed. Um, so overcome with whatever fear, or more likely, overcome with whatever mixed emotions uh, they may have been feeling, they, as it says here, wept while the others cheered. <clears throat> now, I don't want to overstretch here in drawing an analogy between us and these Jews. And I don't also do not want to be overly pessimistic. So I guess what I'm going to do is just speak for myself in case no one else feels like this, but, but I kind of suspect many of you do. Um, I suspect that many of you who have been gathering here in this uh, auditorium for worship these past three or four Sundays have experienced some mixed emotions. Um, now, I think, we've all, I think we've all been happy that things are beginning to get back to some semblance of, of normal. Uh, I think we've certainly been happy to see one another again in person. Uh, I think we've been happy and thankful and uh, full of praise to God for bringing this this far. Um, but it's really been different, hasn't it? It's been different. Um, it's been almost surreal. I mean, wearing... Wearing masks, y'all are wearing masks. I'd at least I get up when I up here. I don't have to wear this mask for temporarily. Uh, we're waving to one another instead of uh, uh, shaking hands or, or hugging. Almost, or many of the students are, are suddenly gone. They just disappeared overnight, and they're not likely to be back for many of them for the summer session. So it's just it's just a little bittersweet, I think. Um, and our feelings have not, you know, our feelings have not been expressed maybe as overtly as in Ezra's time, uh, as we said, when the wails of these older Jews mixed with the praises and excitement of the, of the younger generations to the point that uh, they were indistinguishable. I think more likely our emotions have been more subtle, our emotions have been more internalized, uh, but that doesn't mean they're any less real certainly no less real. <laughs> so I want us to think this morning maybe about what we can learn 
from these, uh, this passage in Ezra that might help us through this transition period to our new normal, to our new normal. And I saw in this four lessons, there's probably more, but I saw four lessons. <clears throat> so let me share with you what I think those are. Lesson one to me is that Israel made reinstating corporate worship a priority. They made corporate worship together a priority, as I think we have. I think it's sort of confirmed to me that we have done the right thing in getting back to corporate worship as soon as was feasible. As different and as spartan and as bittersweet as it may be. And I'm grateful to our pastors and the church leadership for quickly making um, uh, first online worship possible. Um, and then as soon as they felt it was safe to, uh, uh, I'm thankful that they've opened the church building for corporate worship like this here today. And I say that knowing that not every church congregation uh, has, 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 is doing that, it is open. I know that every church congregation has uh, unique circumstances, and so many are not open. Uh, and I respect that, and, and I respect those members, both you know, our members, those who are here today and others who are not, that uh, feel they're, they're not ready to return. <clears throat> I know that some people are more vulnerable than others and can't, just not comfortable with it. <clears throat> so every church congregation, every church member really is different. But I think this passage in Ezra just sort of confirmed or reminded me that the first thing, the most important thing, <clears throat> is to get back to worship as a church body as, uh, <clears throat> as quickly and as safely as, as, as safely feasible. You know, I was thinking about that. The Jews could have waited until the temple was rebuilt. They could have, and they could have waited until everything was sort of perfect before resuming their worship, but they did not. They didn't. Uh, they wanted to get back to worship as soon as they possibly could, so they, they built the, the, the one thing, the one thing that they needed most to do that, and that was the altar. Um, <clears throat> out of the rubble of their past disobedience. They wanted to make sure that, um, that first they were right with God. Um, by making sacrifices, they were saying to the Lord, Lord, we want to we get right with you. Um, the altar was the symbolic center of Old Testament religion. It was the place where they brought their lambs and goats and, and bulls to the Lord to be, to be sacrificed to the Lord. <clears throat> Without the altar... For them, there could have been no sacrifice, and then there, therefore there could have been no uh, forgiveness of sins, uh, no lifting of the burden of guilt and failure, no assurance of divine protection, no access to God, and therefore for them, no proper worship. <clears throat> the altar was the link between God and man. Uh, it was, the altar was the place of their worship, and it was the symbol, if you will, of their worship. So they rebuilt the altar. Now, I know it's not an exact analogy uh, because we didn't, Calvary didn't, we didn't do anything to bring on this COVID-19 epidemic, I don't think, that, that's created all this havoc and, and uh, pain and disappointment. <clears throat> so I don't think we're under God's judgment or, uh, as Israel had been when they went into captivity. So we're not like the Jews in that sense. And we have been worshiping, as I said, we have been worshiping God through this crisis. We've been worshiping personally, I know, and to a limited extent, as best we can, we've been worshiping collectively, 
by YouTube and, and Facebook and Zoom and, and other things. So thank God that we have these, these abilities to do that today. <clears throat> but, you know, I think there's just something about corporate worship together, in person, as a church family, that is so important. There's a, there's a <clears throat> man named Don Whitney who's with um, the Desiring God Ministries, and he says this. He says there's an element of worship in Christianity that cannot be experienced in private worship or by watching worship. Uh, he says that there are some, and he calls them graces and blessings. He says that God only gives them in meeting together with other believers. And one of those graces and blessings is um, uniquely uh, experienced in the context of worship. And he calls it awakening, awakening, or awakenings. He says, often we come into corporate worship feeling a sense of spiritual fog. That during the rough and tumble of the week, the hard knocks of real life in the fallen world can disorient us to the ultimate reality and to what's ultimately truly important. And he says that we need to clear our heads, and he uses that word that Dan's been using to recalibrate uh, our spirits and jumpstart our slow start, our slow heart. Uh, and he says, when that, he says, very often that only happens in corporate worship. And interestingly, Martin Luther believed the same thing. Here's what Martin Luther said. He said, at home and in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is rekindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. And uh, I felt that in corporate worship. I know many of you all have as well. So, as with the Jews, I think coming back together in corporate worship was the first right thing to do for us as the church body. It may not be as satisfying and uplifting as when we're going to be able to sit closer together and uh, stop wearing these, these masks and uh, hug and, and shake hands. You know, we may right now feel like we're, being, we're just sort of surrounded by a field of rubble. Um, but I think it's the first right thing to do. Um, and I was thinking that maybe one way to manage disappointment is to remember that as uplifting and as beneficial as corporate worship is for us personally, uh, it's not, that's not still the main reason we do it. Our ultimate purpose in worship, of course, is to bring glory to God. Uh, and we don't worship primarily to be entertained, certainly. Nor is it even just to be personally uplifting, uplifted as much as worship can do that, as much as it did even for Martin Luther. But we worship first and foremost to bring glory to God. And uh, it's important, I think, to keep that right perspective. And so that's why we're here today. That's why we're here today. That's why you're here today. I think there's a second lesson perhaps to be learned from what the Jews of Ezra's day did next, what they did next. Remember... Um, <coughs> After the altar was complete, was rebuilt, they banded together, they assembled the money, the supplies, the craftsmen they needed uh, to relay the foundation of the temple. Uh, and they got to work on that, that foundation. They dragged those large boulders to the side. They um, cut down the bushes. They dug up the weeds. They cleared all those broken timbers away. And little by little, day by day, Week by week, they um, 
work to clean out a half century of neglect. Um, they pressed on, just taking it one day at a time. Pressed on, taking it one day at a time. <laughs> and that's what we're going to have to do, I guess, in the weeks and months uh, that come as well. You know, normalcy in, in the temple was not restored in a day. Um, and as for us, uh, first corporate worship, and then hopefully soon Bible study and community groups and cafe, and one step at a time. So I just think we need to be diligent and we need to be patient, perhaps, like I think the Jews were. And then <clears throat> I want you to notice that the Jews did this in spite of enemies all around. And that's the that's the sort of the second part of this lesson uh, to learn that uh, I think we've learned in the second lesson. Uh, as we move on into the next chapter of Ezra, into chapter four of Ezra, um, in my Bible there's a subhead that's been added, and in my Bible there's this dark subhead, and it says opposition to the rebuilding, opposition to the rebuilding. Um, and then a little further on into the chapter, it says later opposition under Xerxes and Artaxerxes. And that's because this whole chapter, the next chapter, chapter 4, and even beyond, really, is about opposition to the rebuilding of the temple. Um, so let's look at just a couple of verses from that chapter, from Ezra 4. Look at uh, verse 4. It says... Um, uh, then the peoples all around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So enemies <laughs> did everything they possibly could to discourage God's people, to harass them, to oppose them, to really make them afraid, and to stop them altogether. Um, and this went on for a long time. It went on for a long time through the reigns of several different uh, foreign kings. And in fact, the enemies did succeed in obstructing and delaying their progress for a very long time. Um, when the enemy lines up against us, you know, we'll need to, to put our faith ahead of our fears. Um, again, perhaps I'm being overly pessimistic, but I think there are some, some enemies on our horizon. I'm afraid there are some enemies on our horizon. Uh, the road back to normalcy looks a little scary to me. Um, I hope not, but first I think there could be some external enemies, maybe some recurrence of the perhaps the, the, the COVID-19 virus, and maybe we take a few two steps far, and then we have to take a step backward. So I don't know what kind of external enemies may be there. But I, I think that even greater enemies may lie within, within ourselves. You know, Paul said, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. And Jesus himself said, in Matthew 10, 36, that the man's enemies may be members of his own household. Some of our greatest enemies uh, may be internal. Um, 
there's a danger, I was thinking, that we could get uh, discouraged and because things are, are not exactly as they once were, not as good, not as uh, familiar or as comfortable uh, or as personally fulfilling uh, as they once were, we could be tempted to um, stop being faithful ourselves in corporate worship. You know, to think, if it's not going to be the same at church for a while, you know, why go? Um, or maybe we might have gotten a little too comfortable in that habit of getting up late on Sunday morning and watching the service on the computer in our pajamas, you know? I mean, it was, uh, I mean, that was a very good habit to continue to do while we were quarantined, but it could also be very a bad habit if we just continue on and on and on in that way. So, um, you know, there could be internal, there's all kinds of internal enemies. Let, let's, be, let's be alert to those external enemies, particularly those internal enemies. <clears throat> Here's a third lesson. Here's a third lesson from the Jews uh, that I think. Once the altar was built and once the foundation was laid <clears throat> uh, for the temple, the people and, and their leaders stopped right there and they gave thanks to God in a united public praise and thanksgiving. I mean, it was, it was intense and emotional and God-centered. Um, they didn't say we did this with God's help, although that would have been a perfectly accurate statement. They did do it with God's help. But they instead, they said, they openly gave God all the credit uh, for bringing them back. And I'm also struck by the fact they did not wait until the building was finished until um, they began to praise the Lord. Even though laying the foundation was significant, there was still a mountain of work to do, a mountain of work to do. Years would pass before the temple was finished. Years would pass. The altar and the foundation were just the first few feeble steps. Um, but they stopped anyway at that point, and they, and they gave thanks to the Lord, even though many may not have felt like it. Um, and I think we need to have that same kind of attitude. We are not supposed to wait until we feel like praising the Lord. You know, many times we won't feel like it. Um, anyone can praise and thank God when the sun's shining and the future's bright and, and uh, the bills are paid and the kids are doing well. We just got a great raise and, and, and everything looks rosy ahead. But it's something else to, to praise God when things are, are not quite perfect, far from perfect even. As Paul would say, we're to, we're to give thanks uh, in all of our circumstances, uh, good, bad, in between. Um, we should look at our lives and think, well, you know, this may not be uh, just as I, as I wish it were, but still God's been very good. God's still good. Praise is not about our feelings. Praise and thanksgiving are, are choices that we make without regard to our feelings. We need to do what the Jews did and, uh, and praise him for a good beginning, for a good beginning. That's what we have right now to praise him for. <laughs> so praise God that we can, we, can, uh, we can at least be together into some semblance of, of, uh, of, in some semblance here on Sunday morning, even though, even though it may be far from perfect. Uh, and I think that will put our souls in the right place to continue to work in the uh, with joy in the in the days to come. Now, 
one last lesson, perhaps, uh, from the Jews of Ezra's day. Uh, to me, this passage speaks about the, the importance of encouraging one another. Importance of encouraging one another. Now, this passage does not say this directly, but from the context of Scripture and, and, and the other verses, I, I think it's true, and I think it was true then, I think it's true today. I think the old Jews and the young Jews needed one another. They needed one another. Uh, the young needed the old to remind them of the glories of the past, but also to remind them of the failures of the past, to warn them against the failures of the past, lest they repeat those mistakes. And the old uh, needed the young to encourage them about the future, to see the potential, see the potential ahead. And their voices blended together in a very poignant way. And I think when we do that, when we encourage one another, our voices can blend together in a very poignant way. We need to do that together today. You know, old, young, in between, all the members of the body of Christ, we need to exhort, to uh, encourage, to lift one another up in these probably going to be challenging days still ahead. Um, I think that is yet another important reason why we gather together in fellowship and in corporate worship. Now more than ever, more than ever, we need to be encouraging one another in these challenging times. And that's a, such an important, important function uh, of worship. <clears throat> so we should praise God in his goodness in spite of our circumstances, just as the Jews of Ezra State did. You know, they rolled up their sleeves and, the, and, the, and they got to work. And as they worked with the fulfillment of their dreams far, far, really far into the future, they first stopped and they offered public praise and thanksgiving to God. You know, it's like, to me, it's kind of like the, the Jews of Esther's day. Through them, God's sort of saying, go and do likewise. We need to go and do likewise. Even if it's hard. You know, hard times are hard precisely because they force us out of our comfort zone. And they put us in the place where we are virtually forced to trust God. And then God can use those difficult times to mature us as Christians. That's what his word tells us. And I think we need to take heart of that. So I think those are the lessons that I see in this passage in, in Ezra. And you may be seeing others as well as you read this. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have and you, what you will do within us individually and collectively as a church here at Calvary. As uh, step by step we find our way through this uh, COVID-19 crisis to a new normal, perhaps even to a, a better normal. Um, help us to be diligent, not to be disappointed or discouraged or fearful. Uh, protect us from our enemies, both uh, external enemies and particularly, Lord, from internal enemies. Sometimes we can be our own worst enemies. Help us to praise you whatever our circumstances, even if and when we may not feel like it. And um, help us to encourage one another in, in, this, in this journey. And, uh, and we'll give you all the praise and the glory. Amen.